This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Welcome to the Bike Rider Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRider.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name's Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor here at BikeRadar.com and at MBUK Magazine as well. Joining me in the podcast studio today is Jack Luke. He's our Deputy Editor. How are you getting on, Jack? I'm terrific, thank you, Tom. Very, very pleased to be chatting with my favourite tech editor. Ugh. Don't tell anyone when I said that. I shan't, I shan't. Uh, what have you been up to recently? You're my favourite deputy editor as well, Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to recently, Jack? Well, as will soon be revealed, I've rediscovered my shred legs, Tom. After straying from the light for many years, I have rediscovered that I am, in fact, a far better mountain biker than I am road <laughs> cyclist or gravel cyclist. So I've been enjoying shredding on a very tasty pivot hardtail uh, and it's had me thinking a lot about mountain bike tech today. Mm, and that is going to be our topic for the podcast today. And you've, well, you have been back on the mountain bike. We, we actually went riding the other week and we're going riding tonight. Mm. And you have spent a long time on curly bars. Mm. You got on some flat bars and you, sh- man, you're a fast boy. You're a fast boy. You can ride. You can ride. Making me blush, Tom. <laughs> yeah. I've really, I was very impressed. I very much enjoyed it. I, it's, um, well, I think part of it's down to how good bikes are these days. I don't mm-hmm. want to give myself too much credit. And that's definitely been something I've been thinking about a lot. Would you like to grill me, Tom? Well, I am going to grill you. I am going to grill you. So you have found a number of things that you love and a number of things that you hate about modern mountain bikes having come back from the curly barred world back to flat bars. So should we do the ones you love first? Yes, please. Okay. Just, just to give some context, I've been riding a Pivot Les. Uh... Pivot Les. XT. Yeah, that's right, which you just reviewed as part of a group test, very good group test of mm-hmm. cross-country hardtails. So my perspective from a riding perspective is coming from a sample size of one. Okay. However, you know, I've assessed... It's a very not, good one. It's a very, very good one. I've assessed the sort of, you know, what's in the shed today, looked at common trends in general across mountain bikes, but also looked back at my previous test bikes from years gone by my own personal bikes. Mm. So while my riding time's focused very much on the Les. These are my, my thoughts. You do have another one coming, though, haven't you? You've got a new I do a very tasty marina. Oh, my Re- God, it's tasty. <laughs> it's a little bit excessive. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you can see that soon on site. The first thing, and this is a very common talking point of all of our podcasts, focusing on mountain bikes, but there's no denying the fact that today, even in the world of go-fast cross-country race bikes, geometry is pretty dialed these days. Mm-hmm. Like, if I look back even five, four or five years ago, Short reach, really twitchy, steep head angle, weirdly slack seat angles. They were all completely the norm in cross-country bikes, and they still were unable to escape the gravitational pull of the roadie influence. Mm. But getting on the les today, like, it is a genuinely capable, I dare say almost trail-like hardtail. 
um, with, in my view, absolutely no negatives from a performance point of view for a cross-country riding. Like, it is a super, super capable bike. It feels like in control and steep descents in a way that old school cross-country bikes weren't. You know, the longer reach means I'm not so far over the forward. All, all, all the usual stuff that we say, it's true of cross-country bikes too. Mm -hmm. But what's more interesting is that that's the case across the majority of cross-country bikes. There are still outliers and very old school, noodly, twitchy cross-country bikes. And if that's what you want, fair enough. But really from the majority of manufacturers these days, that is the norm, and I think that is a good thing. Do you yeah. agree with my assessment, Tom? Martin? I do agree with your assessment. There are, I think, when you look at the world of full suspension XC bikes, we are seeing basically trail bike numbers from a couple of years ago. You know, reaches of 470, 475 mil mm -hmm. in a large, head angles of 67, 66 degrees, steep seat angles, uh, and now up to like 120 mil of travel. And they are truly rad bikes. Mm -hmm. Stick like a super chunky tire on there and I think you could ride pretty much everything in Britain on most of them. Yeah, completely. Hardtails are still a little bit shorter, a little bit steeper, but that is the nature of them. Um, but they are still super, super capable. One of the things I really noticed about the group test I did was A, that stems are really short these days, like 60 mil yeah, on an XE bike instead of 100 mil. Um, and the quality of the tires, the Maxxis Recon race, it's just a delicious it's a tremendous tire. tire. It's tremendous. so good. It's so good despite its sort of low profile, closely packed tri file treads. It's such a good tire. Definitely. Um, I love riding it. Yeah, I, th I think the whole package has improved in a really significant way. And people focus now on the capability for descending. And, and that's reflected in the, the overall builds of the bikes. For me, one of the things I've noticed more than anything is the climbing ability of the bikes. Now, increased reach less weight over the front of the bike. I just feel gives you a more balanced middle of the bike feel. I know it doesn't feel as fast because you're not like leaning over in that super aggressive position, but I think technical climbing is easier. But those steeper seat angles in particular, pivot your hips back that really nice way. You're more centered over the BB. Like climbing on these bikes feels absolutely incredible. Even on the road as well. Mm. Like we tend to do quite a lot of longer sort of bridal pathy, 50, 60K sort of XE marathon days out. And I just feel like the position on a modern cross-country bike, seated, upright climbing feels amazing. Love it. Actually, if anything, I feel like, I don't know, that really upright feel feels quite good climbing compared to even like a road bike, I dare say. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love it. I just think the geometry is very good these days. Excellent. Number two. Tire clearance is very generous across the board. Mm. My previous long-term test bike way back in 2017, maybe 2018, thereabouts, was a Bianchi Methanol. Very cool cross-country bike, very classically Italian, mm -hmm. steep, very fun, but unbelievably tight tire clearances at the back. I had a Kenda Honey Badger, <laughs> a terrible tire, wow. universally dreadful mm. tire, um, on the back of that bike. I think it was like a 2.1. And I think the quoted tire cleans to that bike was like 2.2 max, but that would be with a semi-slick Honey Badger style tire. Mm. Um, anything more, hopeless, not a chance. Almost all modern cross-country bikes these days will, what would you say, Tom, like 2.4, 2.5 or 2.4 is like, you know, again, the Recon Race, 2.4 inch tire. Standard. Standard pretty well. Like there's no downside to having increased tire clearances on a cross-country bike mm. at all. You may see a slight increase in the overall chainstay length, which depending on which side of the fence you sit on, like that's either a good or a bad thing. But like from a like a roadie perspective, which bear in mind was the hangover, the influence cross-country bike design for a long time, 
I feel like tight clearances were viewed as racy and uncompromising mm. and like this is all you need. But maybe 2.1 tires are fine for where you ride if you like, just smashing around and boring fire roads all the time. But why not have the option to have a bigger tire? Mm. Increased mud clearance comes with that. Like there's just, there's no downsides in my view to increase tire clearance. It's something I welcome because it means I could put some gnarlier tires on that pivot or the Merida that I'm getting, anything like that, and make it a more capable overall bike. And I'm glad that people have realized generally that's a good thing. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I guess that also comes from the evolution away from two-by drivetrains. So while the previous generation of XC bikes may well have been one by specific, the previous version to those yeah. is likely to have been able to take a front neck, which compromises on the ability to run bigger tires anyway. So you wouldn't have the space, you wouldn't have the clearance, you wouldn't need it. You're absolutely right. Then, In fact, that you know, Bianchi was a two-by able bike. So there you go. So there we go. And then I guess, yeah, maybe the next generation, maybe they don't want to be too radical, so they haven't changed too much. But then I reckon two generations on from mm. that front mech compatible frame should. And if it isn't, they've made big mistakes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, no downsides there. Bigger tires are good. That's it. That's, That's all it. I have to say on that one. Mic drop. <laughs> don't drop the mic, it's too expensive. Uh, number three. Bikes are more versatile than ever. Now, Part of that is the capability that we've talked about with geometry, tire clearance, all that sort of thing. But, you know, I'm a man who likes an accessory, Tom, <laughs> much to your chagrin. You know, I like I like strapping things to my bikes. And I, I think that is only a good thing. So using that pivot as the example, but you could also look at the Merida Big Trail that just launched, or Big Nine, sorry, that just launched, and m most other cross-country bikes. It has mounts for three bottle cages and also a little tool caddy underneath the top tube. Mm. Like two bottle cages would have been all you saw on the majority of uh, cross-country bikes for a very long time. And even on full-sus bikes, like it was just deemed, well, it's fine, you'll be fine with just one bottle cage. Yeah. Everything comes with minimum two, more often than not, three bottle cages now. But you'll even see things like top tube mounts, so just behind the stem, the ability to run a little... Um, like a bento box. Yeah, bento box, caddy box. Really useful if you're doing like a marathon race, mm. easy to access stuff. But then on lower end bikes or alloy bikes, you know, we've seen the proliferation of things like mudguard mounts and pannier mounts. Now, I don't want to ride mudguards on a mountain bike, but my father would consider a bike incomplete without mudguards. <laughs> so Gary Luca will be pleased to hear that, you know, that's there. But for like bike packing, while trendy strap-on bags are very, very helpful and, you know, good in most cases, some people prefer panniers. So why not have the versatility? And at the kind of budget end of the mountain bike world, it means that they can be turned into perfectly versatile commuters with very, very little um, change. We speak from a position of privilege, Tom, mm. with a great number of bikes in our life. But for many people, a one-bike solution is all they can afford or perhaps have the space for. Yep. So to have more versatility is only a good thing. Likewise... Dropper routing, that's pretty standard for the most part on cross-country bikes today. Would have ne never been seen on the mm. Bianchi Methanols of the past, to use my example. Um, yeah. Good. Good things, yeah. I guess that versatility is possibly more prevalent on the alloy versions of the bikes. You know, often the carbon ones are like, 
know, obviously they will still have maybe the three sets of bottle mounts and a mental box, but if we're talking about rack mounts and yeah, that yeah, sort of jazz, that's probably going to be found on the aloe versions, which are often really bloody good. Yeah, completely. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You might add another 500 grams, but... To, uh, to look at a slightly... Anyway, it's a slightly more niche bike, but I rode the Fairlight Holt, which is a mm -hmm. really cool steel, in their words, unashamedly XC hardtail. Mm -hmm. I did a really good video last year where we tried to take the... Um, oh, I remember the very FKT. Fun. The FK, we tried to take the Transcambrian Way fastest known time as a trio, as a sort of like a relay. It was really funny, very good day out. We didn't take it. Mm. But that bike is, I mean, it's steel, so it's not it's not a proper dedicated race bike. Very versatile, very capable um, hardtail, really fun to ride. Pannier mounts, mudguard mounts, a zillion bottle cage mounts. Mm. Like it's, it's just, I just like bikes that can do whatever you want. Like your imagination... Run free. It's the reason why people buy four by four cars because they like the idea of themselves <laughs> being rugged adventurers. You're buying into a lifestyle when you buy a bike with pannier mounts. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Okay, so those are the three things that you love about new mountain bikes. What about the three things that you hate? Well, this one is very specific, and I know it's a shared opinion. The 35 millimeter diameter. Get in the seat. Clamp. I absolutely hate them. Like particularly on a cross country bike. There's no benefit. I, the claims around 35 mil bars are around increased uh, stiffness for reduced weight, and as a result, sort of better handling, more accurate handling. 31.8 mil bars were fine. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's that's all that needs to be said. They were never too heavy, and they were never not stiff enough. Yeah. Like it's perfectly possible to make a wrist-breakingly stiff bar with a 31.8 millimeter clamp, and the move to 35 mil is just dumb. The reason I hate it is because I spent about half an hour trying to find two absolutely minuscule 2.5 millimeter bolts to mount my light mount on the underside of my out front mount prior to going for a longer ride where I thought I'd go into the evening. And I was very frustrated because I put them somewhere stupid. I was really annoyed and I went to fit my out front mount. But of course, it was for a 31.8. All of my mounts, all my computer mounts, all of my light mounts are completely useless, all for a fashion-led change to a completely <laughs> pointless change in bar diameter standards. Now, Tom, I'll ask you, mm. from a trail and enduro perspective, mm -hmm. is there any meaningful benefit to 35 mil bars, or am I on the right track? You are on the right track. I cannot... Maybe... I know one person who uh, has recently liked a 35 mil bar that I have previously ridden and not liked at all, but that person is, A, incredibly fast at riding bikes, <laughs> And also is built like a brick. A heavy person. A heavy person. No, but not, no, but like stout, like he is stacked. Like, and he, I think, managed to get some comfort out of this particular handlebar um, that I don't think anyone else in the world ever has. Mm. Um, it is rare that a 35 mil bar is particularly comfortable. Yeah. It is not rare that a 35 mil bar is harsh and uncomfortable. Yeah. It is rare that a 31.8 mil bar is harsh and uncomfortable, yeah. but incredibly common that it's totally fine. Yeah. Oh, it just really winds Stop me it. up. Stop it's it. so dumb. And on a cross-country bike, like, you're not going to oh. get super no. sharp, precise handling. Like, a 32 mil stanchion fork, pretty good these days, very stiff, but, like, that will be your compromising factor in on-trail accuracy, mm. not a change to a completely pointless. Mm -hmm. I honestly <laughs> had me in a bit of a Marvin mode. Oh, I was so annoyed by this ride. <laughs> so now I've had to go to this stupid 
STEM, like a STEM cap uh-huh. computer mount. Oh, oh no. God, I look like a triathlete. It's just absolutely, it <laughs> <laughs> is criminally uncool and all because of a pointless change to 35 millibit. But I hate, I hate them. I'm here for it. I agree. Thanks, I agree. Tom. I'm so pleased. Maybe you think I'm wrong. You can let us know at podcast at bikegrader.com. <laughs> Maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree, but for me, no benefit. No benefit. Right, number two. Internal cable routing mm. is pointless on a mountain bike. Now, I will caveat that by saying, I'm saying internal cable routing. I'm, I'm really focusing on cockpits. I think the ship is long since sailed on in-frame routing and for mm-hmm. the most part is pretty good these days. Personally, if I was designing my perfect bike, it wouldn't have any mm. internal cable routing. I'm just not interested in it. But really, the sort of the recent focus on fully integrated front ends has no benefit for a mountain bike. On a road bike, the benefit is primarily around aero mm-hmm. improvements. It's not an important factor in a mountain bike. You've got big fat tires, a big upright position, hidden cables will make absolutely no difference. Perhaps if you're going to be doing bike packing and you want the cleanest cockpit possible so that your bags don't follow the cables or the hoses, maybe there'd be a benefit there. But the bikes which feature internal cable routing and the cockpit are are not intended Mm. for that type of riding. It is a purely fashion-led decision which has made bikes less maintenance-friendly and more fiddly for no benefit. Now, the pivot I'm riding is is the sort of right balance for me where, yes, the cables do run into the head tube and then down to the uh, out the back of the bike for the brake and the derailleur. I could just about live with that if it was my personal bike. But looking at like fully integrated, I don't know what, the Specialized Epic World Cup, the sort of new full mm-hmm. suspension-y thing, does nothing for me. Like mm. I, I, It looks very clean. It's very aesthetically pleasing. But even with the move to like, uh, wireless shifting, I, I just, I couldn't abide by it. There's no performance benefit for a cross-country bike. And I would say even less so on a trailer than enduro bike. Uh, you, you're not going to like the new Merida. All right, is it really tidy? It's really? Got a headset. Well, I'm going to take it apart and see how angry it makes me. <laughs> Maybe get a little Dremel and drill out a little port on the side of the down shoe. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, you know, I like working on my own bikes. I'm very fortunate to have the time the resources and the skill to be able to fix bikes, but routing cables through a stem is not a a skill-led job. Mm -hmm. It's purely based on how well or poorly a brand has designed it. Maybe the Merida will be very, very good, but I would rather not have to find out. I would much rather just have the cables waggling in the wind. That's it. That's it. I like it. I mean, you know my thoughts on electronic drivetrains. So I think everything should be wireless because yeah, well, yeah. uh, it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, um, I haven't actually, I haven't ridden any of the latest crop of electronic mountain bike group Transmissions. Trains. Transmissions, sorry. No, drivetrains. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I am looking forward to, you know, giving it a whirl. I think my perfect curmudgeonly bike would have external cables, mm-hmm. a point which I'm about to come on to. Um and probably a mechanical drivetrain. Like fairly simple, easy to maintain at home. And that's, this point is probably reflected in my overall psyche around internal cable routing. But I, I just, I see no benefit. Lovely stuff. All right, let's move on to your final angry point. Are we going to blow your top or are you pretty calm about this? Pretty calm. Okay, good. Press fit BBs still linger on some bikes. And I think that's just dumb. Mm-hmm. 
Press fit bottom brackets can be a perfectly good, in fact, an optimal engineering solution. Simon Bromley has talked about this endlessly. Given any opportunity, in fact, <laughs> he will talk at you about it. Is one if of it's his... not press fit bottom brackets, it's narrow handlebars. It's one of his favorite things to do, is to overwhelm us with uh, information like this. So I concede that press fit BBs are a good engineering solution. However, they are not something that the buying public want on their bikes. Mm. That's a generalization. There are people out there, the Simons of this world, who do like press fit BBs. But for me and many, many others, I would much rather have the option to just thread in a new bottom bracket should I need to the replace simplicity. it. It's simple, like, it, it's just what people want. That's really all I can say on it. Like, the Pivot is a perfectly good bike. The BB has been really quiet. It's the BB86 or whatever the mountain, is it 96 for the mountain bike? Mm, yeah, yeah. BB, I think it's Shimano BB96 for the press fit mountain bike standard. Um, it's good. It's fine. And those BBs generally last a really, really long time. It's well-made frame, no tolerance issues, whatever, all that sort of stuff. Mm. But if it had a threaded bottom bracket shell, well, it'd be easy to replace when the time comes. And people in the comments would go, yeah, cool, great. Yeah. I love threaded bottom brackets. It would get a line in your review. It comes with a mechanic-friendly threaded bottom bracket. Yeah, almost word for word. It would probably <laughs> say that. I just... I think the likes of Santa Cruz and Specialized as well, who have really leaned into that for a long time, gone like, look, threaded bottom brackets are good and we like that. I just think it's a marketing coup and ultimately answering to what the public want to see on bikes. What do you think, Tom? You're a man who loves bike maintenance. Oh, nothing pleases me more than spending endless hours in my garage trying to fix bikes with my mishmash of tools. Mm -hmm. I totally agree on uh, yeah, threaded bottom brackets. I I wouldn't want to bother with bearing presses and all that sort of stuff. What I would like, though, is if all of the uh, bottom bracket manufacturers could just settle on one tool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I have a lot of tools to remove threaded bottom brackets yeah. from the same bottom bracket shell. Yeah. I've recently discovered, amazingly, I didn't have one of the Shimano, the newish, I'm saying new, it's been around for like eight years, mm. but the smaller bottom bracket mm -hmm. cup tool, I'd always used the one in work. Yeah, that, that really had me seeing oh. red. Yeah. I've done a lot of Amazon Prime um, purchases of very cheap, uh, slightly bendy tools in order to remove a bottom bracket or fit a bottom bracket the next day. Uh, it's led to many frustrations. Yeah. I mean, like, it's hardly the most controversial point in the world. Let's be real. Like, we've talked about press fit BBs endlessly. But I just think if I was, if I was doing group tests tomorrow mm -hmm. and I was reviewing five bikes. I can sort this out for you. No, please don't. I've got too much to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of them had a press fit BB. That would be a talking point because yeah. it is what the public, by and large, if you're a press fit fan, it's okay. You know, you're allowed to have your opinion too. <laughs> <laughs> it's what people want. Yeah. And that's that's all I have to say. Lovely stuff. That's well, my, my hot fire takes, Tom. I'm sure there'll be plenty more it. to come as I re-fledge as a shredder. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm sure if any uh, mountain bike product managers are listening, they are very quickly going back to their designers and redesigning <laughs> all of their latest cross-country race bikes to ensure that they have external cable routing, yeah. threaded bottom brackets, great tire clearance, mm. good geometry. 31.8 mil. 31.8 bars. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever the other last one was. Lots of bottle cages. Lots of bottle cages. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad to think that or hear that you think I hold such a position of influence within the industry. You're, you're an important man. No, I, I really have enjoyed getting my teeth back into mountain bike tech. If anything, because it's been a while, do you know what I mean, since I was actually riding. Mm. I, I write and read a lot about mountain bike mm. tech, but it's a very different experience actually. Using them. Yeah, using them completely. And 
um, also getting to grips with just how things have improved or not in some cases. But yeah. like, particularly the geometry side, like I haven't ridden in a long time, but I'm confident if I went back on, say, the methanol from a couple of years ago, still a perfectly good bike, but the confidence that the modern cross-country bikes has mm. given me has been good. It's been good. I think it's made me a better rider more quickly than I would have had otherwise. That's Excellent. my... yeah. Um, this evening we're going for a cross-country ride. Are you riding the Pivot? Are you going to ride the Merida? I'm going to stick with the Pivot for now because okay. I can't be bothered setting up the Merida right. for now. And I'm also a little bit stressed out about having a £13,000 bike. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, I don't know, riding with my colleagues around Ashton Court and that expensive bike. I don't know, it feels like a, <laughs> a real show-off move. Right. I might shave my legs before I go on it. <laughs> if it helps, I'm going to be jumping on the new Cervelo ZSF. Oh, well, maybe I should go on it too. We could cheap bike club. <laughs> Anyway, thank you, Tom. No, thank you, Jack. I appreciate all of your inputs. Thank you very much for listening to the Bike Rider Podcast. If you've got any comments or questions, if you think Jack is correct, or indeed if you think Jack is wrong, don't forget to email us at podcast.bikerider.com is the email address. Also, if you've got any suggestions, comments, questions, or topics for future podcasts, drop them in an email and we will analyse them. <laughs> <laughs> we love reading them. We had some really good ones recently. I think they will inspire some future podcast episodes. They so will. No, do send them. Don't listen to Tom. We love hearing from you. Thank you ever so much for listening and we'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.